tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. As, as we careen madly toward Christmas, <laughs> just discussing Christmas with my, with the voice in my head, and it's it's Christmas has become very strange. I don't know. Maybe it's just old age on my part. But uh, talking about Christmases of my childhood, they they really really were, um, very religious. Kind of funny. You'd expect that, but. Uh, they really were, yeah. We were. It was all about about midnight mass, and uh, we did the whole Advent thing. We were big on Advent. We had the Jesse tree, and we had the little Jesse tower, and the Advent wreath, and the whole shtick. And so I was raised in a strange, <laughs> strange household that actually believed this stuff. But moving along, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us, by that same spirit, to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, talking to the voice in my head, Nick, you know, I, I think a lot of us, I have a hard time with Christmas because of the expectations of Christmas. And I just want to remind you that um, <clears throat> grace is what's given, sin is what's taken. I, I tell you that practically every other day. What does that mean? Look at the sin of Adam and Eve. They took something that God was not pleased to give them. He had was not ready to give them the fruit, the tr- the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they took it anyway. They would have gotten it. They would have received it when it was appropriate for them to have it. But they took it before God was pleased to give it to them. And I think that so often, I know I do this, and and um, I so worry about what I don't have. And I'm not talking about material possessions. That's not that's not the the point of it. But you know, I worry about about loved ones. I I worry about. Uh, schedules. I worry about, am I going to get this done? Am I going to get this accomplished? We all worry in life. Um, and, and we worry about things long before we have to. Uh, uh, and, and I think that if I don't know about you, but for me, it isn't easy to come to that point of trust in the Lord where we say, he's going to give me what I need when I need it. A wonderful story about, uh, Corey Ten Boom, um, a wonderful book, The Hiding Place. If you haven't read it, you got to read it. The Hiding Place. It's 
It's written by, I think she was um, raised in Dutch Reformed Church. She's an evangelical. And uh, she hid Jews in the Second World War. And it's the story of her, her, her life, her work saving Jews from the Nazis, and her life in the concentration camp, and her miraculous release, and her bits about her subsequent life. Um, it, it's, it's a breathtaking story. Uh, but... Uh, she tells a story about um, when she realizes a little girl that someday her parents are going to die. And she says, how will I, how will I manage? How will I handle it? Uh, and her father, who was a devout man, uh, a real, a real, sounds like a really great man. He uh, said, Corey, when we go to Amsterdam, this is, she's a little girl. When do I give you your ticket? When we're going to get on the train? That's the way God does it. He gives you your ticket when you need it. He gives you the grace when you need it. And I have a tendency to spend my life wondering how it will work out and forgetting that God will give me the grace each day as I need it. You know, and I think I think that, that when I'm thinking of someone who asked about how do you keep hopeful at Christmas, um, you remember that, that grace is what's given, sin is what's taken, and God will give you the grace when you need it, instead of focusing on what you don't have, to look at what God has given you. I remember hearing a story of a, a, a woman who was in very reduced circumstances and lived in a, a room in a senior, senior citizen house, and she had been a very wealthy young woman, a great socialite, and someone was doing a puff piece on her life and and how she had fallen from the heights uh, to a much more simple life. And she asked her, how do you handle this? And she said, well, that was what I had then. This is what I have now. Grace is what's given. Sin is what's taken. So God's going to give you a wonderful gift this Christmas. <laughs> and if you just keep looking at what you want, you might miss what he's given you. So that said, let us open the big book on the coffee table. Here we go. Another another snippet of a first reading. It's just a few lines long. Isaiah, the seventh chapter, the 10th verse to the 14th. And you have to go to the USCCB site and click on the reference Isaiah 7 colon 10 dash 14 and the whole chapter will come up and you can see the context. Now, in chapter 10, verse 1, we read that in the days of Ahaz, king of Judah, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, king of Israel, son of Ramaliah, went up to attack Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When word came to the house of David that Aram had allied itself with Ephraim, the heart of the king and the heart of the people trembled, as the trees of the forest tremble in the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz with your son, Sha'ar Yashub. That's a wonderful name. Name one of your kids, Sha'ar Yashub. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take care, you remain calm, and do not fear. Don't let your courage fail between these two stumps of smoldering brands, the blazing anger of Razan, the Arameans, and the son of Ramalia, because Aram, with Ephraim, the son of Ramalia, has planned evil. Let us go up against Judah. Uh, what he's saying is, don't worry about this. <laughs> exactly. God's giving you, God's giving him the same advice I'm giving you. Don't worry about it. Of course, I will worry about it for you, moving along. Uh, what's the context? The context is, this is happening about, oh, about uh, 
730 years before Christ, 720 years before Christ, around then. And Ahaz has a problem. He is allied with the Assyrians. And the the King Pekka of northern Israel, the so-called uh, uh, ten about-to-be-lost tribes, and the king of, of Syria, Razan, uh, they want to uh, force Ahaz into uh, joining them in a rebellion to, to the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians were, uh, some people count them as the first great world empire, uh, a, a conquering empire, that they created a, a state that ruled over a lot of people who, who were not ethnically related to them. So, this is um, <clears throat> a problem, because... Uh, Ahaz is trying to get along with with uh, with uh, the Assyrians, but his immediate neighbors are trying to force him into an alliance with them, and he's not going for it. And so along comes Isaiah and says, "Calm down." Um, that uh, Ahaz was not one of the good kings. Uh, he he uh, seems to have sacrificed his son to at least dedicate him and maybe sacrifice him to the god Moloch. And uh, he, he uh, honored the gods of the Assyrians, all that sort of thing. So he wasn't a, he wasn't a great guy. Uh, it was at this time that the northern kingdom was destroyed uh, by um, the Assyrians and uh, taken into, into exile. Uh, and the... Um, <clears throat> Uh, poor Ahaz, not a good man, uh, he had no idea uh, what he was going to do. And so along comes the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah says, calm down, ask for a sign from the Lord your God, let it be deep as the netherworld, high as the sky. But Ahaz answered, I will not ask, I will not tempt the Lord. In other words, he's being pious and saying, I don't want to ask for a sign because the sign might be something I don't want to hear. Listen, O house of David, is it not enough for you to weary men? Must you also weary my God? Therefore, the Lord will give you this sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Now, that said, what is more hopeful than the birth of a child? Seriously, what's more hopeful? Children uh, um, are a sign of the future. Where there are no children, there's no future, which makes me very nervous about our situation, the situation of Europe. Um, uh, where there's children, there's a future. If you are in church, I'll never forget, there was a woman who was in the choir, and she wanted all of the babies in the church to shut up. She, I think, had no children of her own and didn't understand that that's like asking the wind not to blow to ask a child not to make noise. Well, she would, uh, I never noticed the, the crying kids. The only people who really notice the crying kids are, are usually their parents. But, well, this woman would notice them. I'm sitting there in the, in the priest chair and I hear this shh, 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 shh. She's up in the choir lofts trying to shush the crying children in the church below. And she finally uh, <laughs> left the congregation and went somewhere else uh, where there was nothing but old people. <laughs> so 
When you hear a kid cry in church, thank God every time you do, because it means there's a future. Um, so that's what this is about, uh, that, that, that a child's going to be born and he'll be, uh, um, he's going to grow up and, uh, this is going to work out. Now, who is this child? Well, it may be the, the successor Hezekiah, who was a good, a good, uh, 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 a good king. Uh, but we look at it and we see a prophecy of the birth of Jesus. And again, prophetic utterances have many meanings. They have the meaning intended for that time period in which the prophecy is uttered. They have a meaning intended for the future, which you really only know when it comes to pass. And it, they have a meaning that is universal for the life of all times. There's a one is specific prophecy for the, for the moment. One is specific prophecy for the future. And the other one is the biblical principle that the prophetic utterance um, uh, illuminates that is for all time. So at least that's the way I look at it. Um, now, am I saying that, that this prophecy is not about Jesus? Nonsense. Of course it's about Jesus. So uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Wait a minute. That word isn't virgin. That's not what the text says. It says the young, the young woman. Well, very interesting. This is, this, this calls for a, a sidebar. First of all, a young woman was a virgin. The word in the text is Alma. Uh, I think it's Alma. I'd have to look, but it's Alma. It means the young, the young woman doesn't mean virgin in Hebrew. Well, a young woman, an Alma, was in fact a virgin. If she wasn't, there was trouble. So the important thing is, though, the Septuagint, which is the translation of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek by scholars in Alexandria at the time, oh, about two or three hundred years before, well, two hundred years before Christ, give or take, that is a very useful document. Well, I, I, let's go back to the original Hebrew. Yeah, but the Septuagint, the Bible of the 70, they call it, was stands as a very useful commentary on what people around the time of Christ believed that the Hebrew text meant. Words change meanings. When I was a boy, cool had to do with something that was groovy. Of course, groovy no one mentions anymore. Groovy would refer to a road that needs road work, uh, but that word is was overused and killed. So words change meaning sometimes very quickly. So at the time of Christ, Jews read this passage and they saw the word virgin because that's the word they translated it to in Greek, a word that clearly means a virgin. So people tell you, well, it doesn't really mean virgin. Yes, it does. Uh, I don't know if that's a clear explanation, but the Septuagint is, we, we want to go to the Hebrew text all the time, but the Greek text is, in a sense, commentary on the meaning of the words. Okay, uh, I, I talked about this, I think, yesterday, the, the, the fiat of the Blessed Mother, that she wasn't questioning. Uh, she didn't want this to happen, but she was just saying, how is this going to happen? The, the, what I want to go to and finish with this is, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Handmaid sounds kind of nice. It looks sounds like someone who does a lot of knitting. Um, the word is slave. I'm the slave of the Lord. 
the Blessed Mother calls herself here the slave of the Lord. And I think that's a very important thing to understand. Um, the humility of the Blessed Mother, the lowliness of the Blessed Mother, is something that should should uh, touch us all profoundly, I think, because uh, I'm not there. I'm I'm arrogant. You're arrogant. We worry about our dignity. We worry about what we want. Well, the Blessed Mother said, doesn't matter what I want. I'm a slave. You see, slaves didn't get a day off. They didn't have vacation time. There wasn't a slave union. A slave had no rights. They were property. And so often I think of my rights, even when I'm dealing with God and before God, before other human beings, of course, I have rights. You have rights. Uh, but when we stand before God, we have no rights. He made us. We belong to him. And we don't think that way. Well, God shouldn't do that. If God, you say God is fair and God is just, how can this happen to me? The Blessed Mother <laughs> knew the truth. She said, I am the slave of the Lord. If she is, how much more should I be? And how much more should you be? Um, handmade, lovely word. Slave, not a lovely word. But the word is duly in Greek, which means slave. All right, well, let us go to, we're going to go to letters. I've got some interesting ones, as always. And we will break. And while we do so, we will open the phones at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Feliz Navidad. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Perfectly obnoxious. And you know, I, I won't take the rap for it. <laughs> but <laughs> I think that perfectly obnoxious Christmas music is fun. But uh, at any rate, one can go too far uh, with Paul McCartney. But uh, where was I? All right, let's go to letters. I've got letters. Oh, my. <sighs> okay, uh, let's see here. Oh, no, 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 no. Neener, neener, neener. I'm not listening. hate that song. Okay, moving along. I've got something from Dan, um, a thought on Zechariah. And uh, Dan says, it must have been pretty lousy not to be able to speak, but there must have been great joy as that was a sign that he was going to have a son. If that didn't happen, uh, would he have belted out the Benedictus? You know, that's what... Uh, 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 Zechariah said the beautiful song that we say in the morning prayer, blessed, oh, I can't even think of it. Good grief. Benedictus. Oh, trust me, it's in there. But uh, we we say that in the, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel has visited his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a savior from the house of David and and so on. See, I do remember it. the voice in my head had to prime the brain here. You pray um, it every day. I pray it every day. I know. And it's funny when I try, for instance, to repeat the words of uh, 
the, uh, uh, the that you say at mass for the pouring of 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 a little water into the into the chalice. I can't remember those either, and I say those every single day. So, oh dear, <laughs> just like an old dairy horse. Show me the way to the barn. Okay, let's get back to this letter. Once, uh, uh, wouldn't he wouldn't have belted out the Benedictus that we now enjoy saying every morning. So yeah, there was. There was great, you know, I think more than joy even, there would have been awe. I mean, the people outside realize something's going on. So, um, yeah, when one encounters the divine, when you're not expecting it, which, you know, he's in the temple. Where else should you have a vision? He wasn't expecting it. Uh, and this is also a letter from, from Dan um <clears throat> was thinking about, uh, as he was saying, the rosary, he was thinking about the joyful mysteries um, that that Jesus being found in the temple. He remembered an incident from his own life when he was a kid and he just sort of went off to watch a presentation in, in an aquarium's theater and his dad found him and joined him watching the rest of the film. And, well, he heard about it for years afterwards. But, um, you know, that... that um, and I, I don't know that that um, there's great joy when Jesus was found, um, um, but there must have been great anxiety with it too. But on the other other hand, our Blessed Mother, as we see in today's reading, had a perfect trust in the Father. And if one can trust God, that really reduces anxiety levels. Um, so I'm working on it. Believe me, I'm working on it. Very interesting, Dan. So thank you. All right. Let's see here. Um, <clears throat> okay. This one is, oh, this is an interesting one. My question is this, is it okay to pray for a good Catholic man? Why, of course it is. However, I'm a divorcee for nine years now. I would love to find a good Catholic man who loves God as I do. I don't know how to approach this letter, actually. Um, the most important thing before you go looking for anyone is, are you free to marry? Uh, was your first marriage a valid marriage? If so, you are married. Now, let's explain this. All right. Um, a lot of people look at annulments as Catholic divorce. It is not. An annulment is a statement that there never was a marriage. There never was a spiritual bond between two people. And I find that that's very real. I have met people who've been married for 25 years, and it's like they're perfect strangers to each other. There was never a, a bond between them, the, the sacramental bond. Then I meet people who've been married four and five times, and when they have to make an important decision, they call their wife, meaning the first one. Um, that's... Uh, that's real too. No matter how many civil divorces you get, if you were married validly to your first wife, uh, she's still your wife. This is an important reality. What what an, a divorce is saying, there is a marriage, the marriage is over. We don't believe that that's possible. We don't even, we don't, we believe it's wrong, but it's not even possible. Because once there is a genuine spiritual bond between two people, it cannot be broken. Well, explain. Marriage is a covenant. It's meant to last 
until the death of one of those who enter into the covenant. A contract, I've explained this a number of times, a contract is I give you that you might give me. A covenant is I give you myself that you might give me yourself. In other words, a covenant is the gift of self. Marriage is a covenant. Now, within a covenant, there is there is a contractual element that these are the things that I promise in this covenant. I make a contract that is a permanent contract in the covenant. And there are three things that you promise. First, that you will be faithful that you will cling to, that you will forsake all others. Uh, two, that you will be open to the possibility of children. You may not be able to have children, but you will be open to the possibility. You will give your spouse the right to have children. What that means is if for some valid reason, and this is very, very rare, uh, you, you decide that you won't be able to have children, and, of course, would only practice natural family planning, um, that sort of thing. Well, if one of the partners decides, I've changed my mind, I want to have kids, even though it will be risky, you've given your spouse the right to have children. So it's a faithful, ex an exclusive relationship that's open to kids, and it is indissoluble. You promise those three things at the wedding. Now, to make such a covenant, <clears throat> you must have full freedom. If someone is standing there with a shotgun, that invalidates the wedding. If someone says, we have to get married, that may well invalidate the wedding. Um, if your spouse has a secret uh, life, uh, in which, which is, makes it clear that he doesn't intend marriage, that invalidates the wedding. And it doesn't matter if... Five weeks after the wedding, he decides he doesn't want to have kids, or she decides she doesn't want to have kids. If at the moment of the marriage these things were true, then you're validly married. So what an annulment is is to investigate the situation and to see if there was a defect in the forming of the covenant. And frequently there is. Um, that's why that spiritual bond wasn't formed. Now back to this, this letter. What would have to happen is for you, before you went looking for a good Catholic man, to determine the validity of your first marriage. Were you validly married? And Catholics are bound to uh, uh, the form of marriage in the church unless they get a dispensation from their bishop. That's because the church is involved with this. The church witnesses the, the marriage. So... Um, if, for instance, a person who was bound to the Catholic form of marriage was married civilly, then that marriage is probably invalid. We, however, do respect the marriages of non-Catholic people before a justice of the peace, before a Protestant minister, and whatever is appropriate ceremony. We respect the validity of those marriages because not being part of the covenant of the Catholic Church, they're not held to this covenantal form. This is, I know, sounds a little complicated. But the whole point I'm trying to make here, which always is good when you find out what point I'm trying to make, is that first thing to do is, uh, well, you can pray for a good Catholic man, but um, have that first marriage either invalidated or declared null. There are two things. Uh, uh, a marriage that is... <clears throat> appears to be done in the proper form and in the proper way, there's a very thorough investigation that's called an annulment. There's also something called 
a declaration of nullity. It's what we call a paperwork um, case that that if if a Catholic is married in a civil ceremony, all that's necessary is to produce the 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 proof that this was never uh, validated or blessed in a Catholic church. Uh, so. Go to your pastor. Before you start looking for a good Catholic man, go to your pastor and see what you need to do to make sure you're free to marry. Uh, <laughs> a long disquisition on marriage, but we take it very seriously. Marriage is, a, is, is, is very sacred, and so we don't want to be Las Vegas. Uh, so, oh, did I mention there are, there are lines open, by the way, at 888-914-9149. So, well, let me do a couple more letters, then we'll take a break and then we'll go to, um, we will go to, uh, uh, phone calls. Well, the word of the day and phone calls. Let me see here. All right. Let's see here. One more letter we'll do. Okay. What is this one? Oh, this uh, my uh, this is just uh, sounds like a praise report. My sister-in-law Gina received a heart on twelve nine twenty two. Her husband Paul is still recovering from his triple bypass. Thanks be to God. Thank you for continued prayers uh, at Relevant Radio. So just a thanks to everybody at Relevant Radio. And you know when we get prayer requests, um, we we do pray for them by name. Uh, in fact, is every once in a while uh, we get lists of people that we're supposed to pray for, and we do pray for them by name. So. Uh, God bless you. And thanks for letting us know that prayer is answered. All right. Well, we're going to take a break and we will come back and we will have the word of the day. And then we will um, we'll take calls at stuff okay moving along here the uh, um let's go to the word of the day Uh, i get asked this so much uh, and i just was asked again today about um the idea of mary being pregnant and unmarried and uh, this is kind of a repeat word of the day. The word here is betrothed. All right, let's let's. Where do we find that word? Uh, Matthew one nineteen. Is that it? Um, no, no, that's not it. Let's see here. Um, I think it's Matthew one seventeen. I'm going to pontificate on this for a while, but this is how the birth of Jesus came about. Matthew one eighteen. His mother Mary was pledged to be married. This translation says. And there is a word, and this will be the word for the day. It, it's uh, um, close to unpronounceable for a 
non-ancient Greek like me, but it is, it is, the word is mnestuo, M-N-E-S, and, and that's not actually the word word, the word is even worse because it's a participle, mnestuthesis, <laughs> mnestuthesis, it means betrothed, uh, pledged to, it actually comes from a word meaning courtship, uh, so um, they were not married. Uh, they were in the first stage of courtship. Now, uh, the current custom among Ashkenazi Jews for marriages is as the following, that marriages are completely arranged. I mean, the bride and groom have a little input, but they can say no uh, if they're brave. But they're arranged marriages. Um, <clears throat> the families come together. Usually this would happen on the day of the wedding. The families come together and they, the, the groom looks under the veil, which is called the unveiling or the <laughs> Greek apocalypse. That's what the apocalypse means in Greek, the unveiling. It's an unveiling. And I remember asking Rabbi Lefkowitz, why do you do that? So that no one pulls a fast one on us like they did on our father Jacob. Remember when Jacob thought he was marrying Rachel and he got Leah instead? must have been quite a wedding. Well, uh, they look under the veil to make sure that doesn't happen. Then they sign a marriage contract. And then they have, they drink a schnapps, which isn't uh, uh, the, uh, that peppermint stuff that Wisconsin people talk about. Schnapps is the German or Yiddish word for any kind of alcohol that will take the paint off the woodwork. That is some weird, wild stuff. It certainly is. Schnapps. So uh, then they go to wherever the wedding is going to be, maybe the synagogue, maybe a hotel. But you have to be married under a chuppah, a canopy. And until you are married under the chuppah, you do not have intimate relations impossible so the the marriage ceremony had not taken place now the fathers of the church seemed to indicate that it had that they were actually married i think that that at least that's what my sources were telling me that they seemed to imply that and i've heard people say well it was allowed for people who were simply engaged to have intimate relations no, it was not. It was not in the times the Talmud were written, which take us back almost to the time of Christ. It is not. It was not done. Uh, that the, there wouldn't have been the possibility of it. Um, so uh, this is a very important kind of kind of thing. That that our blessed mother had Joseph not been a righteous man, full of mercy, because righteousness is full of mercy. This text says that Joseph, being a, a righteous man did not want to expose Mary to the penalty of the law. When we think of righteous, so often we think of someone who would, ah, I'm a righteous man and you're going you're gonna to fry. No, righteousness is all about generosity and mercy because righteousness is a reflection of the nature of God. Joseph, being a righteous man, did not want to subject Mary to the penalty of the law. The first Joseph, Joseph the patriarch, son of Jacob slash Israel, uh, who went down into Egypt, uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. He is the, the, the paradigm of mercy and justice in, the, in Jewish life, the first Joseph. 
because when he could have taken vengeance on his brothers, he did not. And so the second Joseph, the Joseph of the New Testament, true to his namesake, did not want to take revenge when he could have, and perhaps some people would have said should have. Regardless, whether they were married or before they were married, Mary was still in danger because it was clear that this was not the child of Joseph. Now, it is very interesting um, that in the early uh, texts of Jewish literature, they never claim that nah, Joseph was really the father. They they claim all sorts of other things that that they talk about Mary being intimate with a Roman soldier called Pantera. This story comes from uh, a couple centuries after the time of Christ. Uh, well, eh, maybe a century. Origen mentions it. Who he wrote, uh, he lived 185 to 254, and he was from that area. Uh, interesting that they had to explain the circumstances of Jesus' birth and deny that they were supernatural because even the Jewish authorities and commentators did not consider Joseph the biological father of Jesus. So it is clear from the very earliest days there was something unusual about the conception of Jesus as admitted by non-Christian authorities. So you know, this, this people try to sugarcoat the situation. It was a serious situation. And our Blessed Mother, the slave of the Lord, said, I'll trust you in this, because she was at risk for her life. And had Joseph not been a righteous man, a tzaddik, she would have been killed, and the whole thing would have been over. But God knew what he was doing, and God knew who he's trusting. All right, I get the long disquisition on the word, what's the word, oh, dear... Mnestuo, betrothed, Mnestuo. Okay, let's go to phone calls. This is smart. Maxwell smart. Let's go to Mike, who's calling from Rockford, Illinois. What can I do for you, Mike? Yeah, Father, this summer I was in Barrow, Alaska, where it was 24 hours daylight. And I was oh, wondering, grief. since in the Jewish tradition, the next day starts at sundown, mm -hmm. when would a Jewish person consider the next day starting if the sun doesn't set well if there are any jewish eskimos they would probably be in a bad situation a true pickle i don't know you've stumped the reverend know-it-all <laughs> i would think that they would probably uh um uh, uh uh what would they do they would probably boy that's interesting Muslims would be in a much worse place because they have to fast until the sun goes down. <laughs> uh, so in Ramadan. Um, yeah. I don't know if anybody knows what Jewish Eskimos would do regarding the Sabbath. I imagine that they would uh, probably observe Sabbath, uh, a much shortened Sabbath. But when the sun got as close to, were, were I a Jewish Eskimo, I would... I boy, I'm not that politically incorrect. I would I would uh, uh, call it a day when the sun got as low in the sky as it was going to go. That's what I would do. But that's just me. I don't know if that's what uh, the rabbinical council of of the Holy Land would do. So, again, the, the Reverend Know It All desperately reaching out for a straw, <laughs> something help. So does that help a little, Mike? Not at all. <laughs> You've no, done no, it. Really. <laughs> yes. Yes, not at all. Just just 
think of the poor Muslims in that situation. It's even worse than the poor Jews. So... Yeah. Whereas Christians, we got a stopwatch, <laughs> which we usually have going during sermons. Well, all right, Mike, thanks for calling in. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. So, oh, dear. If I find right. out, Mike, I will mention it on the air. I promise. All right. I'll call Rabbi Lazowski. Maybe he knows. All right. God bless, Mike. And thanks for listening, despite the fact that it doesn't seem to help. Moving along, <laughs> let's go to Steve, who's calling in from, uh, uh, what? I, where's, where? Duncan something, Pennsylvania. Steve, what can I do for <laughs> you? Father. Well, when you mentioned earlier briefly, uh, about the finding of the uh, boy in the temple when when they were searching, <clears throat> when uh, often when I'm I'm praying the uh, fifth joyful mystery about the finding of the boy in the temple and that and that uh, that Mary and Joseph were 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 despairing, you know, as they as they searched for three days and then when they found him in the temple and they had their little conversation, but on the on the ride back. Uh, you know, they may have been looking out the window, going back to Nazareth, and mm-hmm. I, I imagine that Mary and Joseph looked at each other and said, "He was in control the whole time." Yeah, you know, I imagine he, they he did. had it all in hand. Yeah, what yeah. do you think? Well, it is interesting because I'm saying, "Blessed Mother must have been calm." Scripture kind of says that uh, uh, no, not so much. Uh, the, the the passage says. Um, uh, um, I've got the passage here. Let me find the whole chapter. The she says, "Did you not know that that your father and I would be worried?" Which is kind of interesting, because he reminds them that uh, uh, that Joseph isn't his father. I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, let me see, because he says, "Did you not know that I would be in my father's house?" That's kind of telling, isn't it? Um, hold on, I need to to back up to this because I want to get the text. Okay, okay. No, I'm not finding the text. The whole text. I've got just the line. Okay, Luke, Luke uh, 24. Uh, it's Luke 2:49, and we read. Um, uh, um, it's an interesting encounter. <clears throat> When his parent, this is Luke 2.48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Child, why have you done this to us? His mother asked. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I think this is a very interesting, I've never actually noticed that before. Uh, um, Because he reminds Mary that Joseph is not his father. Uh, um, uh, uh, This, in the text, uh, um, it says the word we were distressed it really means we were we were pained we were we were that's a strong word it can mean torment it means very we were very pained that we couldn't find you that's kind of interesting so uh, our blessed mother despite her immaculate conception was pained for christ now that fits in very well with the with Mary, our Blessed Mother, at the foot of the cross, because she was a sword pierced her heart. So, this is, you know, I've never looked as closely at that passage as I should. I don't know if this illuminates anything, but interesting thing to think about. Does what that, I'm, what uh, I'm, go on. Yeah, what I'm saying is uh, when, when the dust all settled, 
you know, and they were they were writing yeah. back that oh, man, he was in control the whole time. That's what we we got to trust Jesus because he is yeah. in control here. Oh also. gosh, he is. He's in control except when we won't let him be. <laughs> then he says, "Good luck. <laughs> see, me when, see me when you come to your senses." Yes, yes. I have often refused to let the Lord be in control, but when I have, it's worked out quite well. Yeah, I imagine that you're right. That they did they did think that they were in in great pain. I always say that that the Blessed Mother's sufferings, you know, uh, that those who believe in the Immaculate Conception, which I certainly do, um, uh, that that her 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 sufferings, in a sense, were voluntary. She said, "I will suffer with him," so and, and she did suffer. She was a, we call her a Lady of Sorrows, but um, yeah, that's true for me. When I realized that God worked it out just perfectly, <laughs> well. Uh, uh, why was I worried? And then the next time something comes up, I worry. So good insight. Good insight. I will have to ruminate and meditate on that one. So uh, thanks for calling in, Stephen. Yeah, okay. Thanks for you listening. Thank you, God, bless. Good. God bless. God bless you. Uh, you. Give me something to ponder, darn it. Let's go to James in Las Vegas, Nevada. Are you with us, James? I am, Father. <laughs> Thank you. So I, I have a guess as to the Eskimo sundown quantity. Ah, good. Yes. Which is which is the the Jewish people that I've known in my lifetime have been eminently practical. So I think they would go with whenever sundown in Jerusalem is, that's where sundown is. That's interesting because of course you're at the North Pole where the time zones are much thinner. That I would say Again, I'll ask Rabbi Lasovsky, and I bet he won't know either, and I'll come back with an answer. At some point, I will find <laughs> out. Yeah, the, no, the, okay. most of the Jews I've known, and, you know, that Rabbi Lefkowitz would say that, that Jerusalem is not, uh, Judaism is not a very uh, theological religion. It's about what you do, uh, which is kind of interesting. Christianity perhaps should be a little more about what we do. We argue about theology, but, well doing is important so yeah that's uh, that interesting would, that would make that would that would that would make gandhi happy if we were more about what we do so yes yes and i think it would make the lord happy also all uh, right well thanks for calling in james god bless let's go to michael from from panorama city california michael what can i do for you hello sir always i enjoy your show and i also i forget to mention that i love you guys music so keep up the great job in all aspects. <laughs> well, thank you <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I would just, my question is just that um, in the Sabbath commandment, which says, remember the Sabbath day and so forth, keep it holy, that seems to give rest to every single person, yes, even yes, the it slaves, does. Because, yes. and even the animals. <laughs> yes, yes. And I said that, that when the Blessed Mother said, uh, uh, you know, that, that um, I'm the slave of the Lord, that Romans didn't give rest to their slaves. There was one, I think, mm -hmm. one feast in the year. But Jews were supposed to uh, give rest to their slaves, and they were supposed to set them free every seven years. Jewish slaves did have rights. Uh, and right. I think that when we talk about slavery in the Bible, we have to, we have to uh, mitigate it with those, those uh, you know, you didn't have a complete control over your slaves. Uh, they, they, you were subject to the law. They were subject to the law. And St. Paul seems to indicate that. And Extend that in his letter to Philemon. But yeah, you're right that, that uh, uh, slaves still had to do the, the heavy lifting in the house. I mean, you could carry burdens in your own house, uh, that sort of thing. And you could do, there was not food preparation, but there was food service and that sort of thing. So the slaves would do it uh, in, in the wealthy households. But yeah, you're right that they, they, yeah. they got a break too. As did and I would animals, just say, animals. 
Right. Yeah. And to end, I would just say, just like the Blessed Mother, I think we should all submit ourselves to being slaves of Christ, as the Bible, as God indicates. And, and in being slaves to Christ, we are free. Well, and then people say, well, you know, you're, not, you're supposed to be, what about the children of God? Well, children in the ancient world essentially had all the rights of slaves. So a child of God is under the complete control of his father. So that, that isn't an excuse. Good insight. Thank you so much for that. And uh, uh, useful to know. God bless. Let's go to Sister Madonna. Are you with us, Sister Madonna? Yes, hi. Hello, hi, what can I do for you from Boston? Yes. Yes, from Boston. I'm. I'm just doing a little comment on the when the Sabbath uh, begins, and yes, uh, yes, you know the timeline. Uh, we happened to be uh, at one of our dinners with a Jewish rabbi, who taught at a Catholic college, and he was saying because I'm from Hawaii originally, uh, he's ah. saying you know in the islands they're not really sure if the date line is the correct and really uh, set correctly, whether it's really Friday or when, when Saturday. Is it Friday? Is it Saturday? Is it, you know, so what they yeah. do, they don't go to Hawaii. So I'm sure they <laughs> wouldn't go to Alaska. Oh, there I, be bet, any doubt uh, I bet there are a few the, reformed Jews in Hawaii. <laughs> well, that's a good point. They don't know. They can't live on an island in Pacific because they don't know when Shabbos would be. I actually have known some Jews who would say that, but... Well, I've had problems that, as they say, would cross the rabbi's eyes. So stay tuned for Drew. He's got it all down pat.